The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. When I was assigned the subjects, I started looking at this subject for tonight, and just as I assumed that probably the theme for the lectureship was taken from Peter taking his eyes off Jesus in the midst of that storm, I assumed that tonight's lesson would be geared around 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, where the Bible says, For unto this have you been called, because Christ has suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And I thought about what should I preach about that. I kind of do the same thing anytime I'm assigned a subject. I said, where am I going with this sermon? And I thought about talking about the old book that's so popular in his steps, written by Charles Sheldon. I have a copy of it written or printed in 1899 sitting in my office. An old book. So that concept has been around. If you don't know the concept of the book, it's a work of fiction where a preacher becomes convicted that they're not doing the right stuff, not doing it the right way. So he stands up one Sunday and asks for any volunteers in his congregation to meet with him after services. And when he meets with this small group of volunteers, he challenges them that for the next year, they not do anything without not first asking the question, what would Jesus do? Now, when I said that right now, some of y'all who are old like me went, I remember those bracelets. We had bracelets that said WWJD back in the 80s. It was based off the premise of this Charles Sheldon book that had been printed in the 1800s. And the concept, what would Jesus do? Paul expressed the very same sentiment in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, when he said, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. He basically told his followers, just like Peter did, to try to emulate Christ. Peter said it this way. He left a perfect example that we should follow in his steps. Paul said, try to think like Jesus thinks. Let the mind of Jesus be in you. But here's the problem. Here's the problem that preachers face and that church members face when we start talking about following the example of Jesus. I think what happens is the preacher stands up and says, I want to talk to you about following the example of Jesus. And most church members go, okay, and they turn off. And they say, not a whole lot of point in listening to this lesson because there's no way I can. You see, Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. Didn't I read down past verse 21 which said he left a perfect example that we should follow in his step? And the very next verse says, for he was sinless, who committed no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when reviled, reviled not. And we hear that verse, which is in such close proximity to verse 21, and we subconsciously, I think in our mind, we hear, Follow the example of Jesus. Jesus was perfect. And we go, I can't do that. I'm human. I make mistakes. There's going to be guile found in my mouth. And when people revile me, I'm going to mouth off. What, what do you do? If somebody says something ugly to you, what do you do? 
Let's be honest. Y'all can kind of nod at me. Don't nod off. I know it's eight, eight. But nod. If somebody says something ugly to you, do you need jerk reaction say something ugly back? Most of us do. We struggle with that. Just as we struggle with, oh, ye of little faith, we struggle with somebody says something ugly, we say something ugly back. My son and I have this relationship, not just the girl advice relationship. We have a, a very good relationship. We talk about a lot of things, but it's kind of funny because I walk in sometimes and I'll call him an ugly name. And whatever, just make it up a new word of the day. I walk in and say, what are you doing, ugly? And he'll say, not much, stupid. You know, we just, it, we know that it's joking. It's our way of, of that we love each other. But I thought about it the other day. I said, I probably trained him really well on how not to be. Because one of these days, somebody is going to actually call him a name. He's going to fire right back because it's been, I've got years of being prepped for, for having that snappy comeback. We read verse 22, who had no sin, no guile found man. We say, I can't do that. We cannot live up to that sinless perfection that Jesus had. So the preacher stands up and says, let's talk about following Jesus's example. And subconsciously, we turn the volume down. And we start thinking about the grocery list or why are we really going to get out here at 8.30 like Cliff said or whatever fills our mind right now. Wondering if the DVR is on, catching whatever the show you were supposed to take. We strive to give God our best and we can give our best effort. But sinless perfection is not the only area in which we can look to Jesus and keep our eyes on him to set an example for us. We can follow in his steps. And as I stated in the last lesson, I really like practical. I really like practical. Practical, by definition, means of or concern. This is straight off Google. If you Google practical definition, this is the definition. The word practical means of or concern with the actual doing or use of something rather than just theory or ideas. I could probably give some lessons tonight and I could probably pull some examples from Jesus' life and say, this is what Jesus did. And in theory, you can say, well, that would be really good. But how many people have ever made this statement? In theory, that's a good plan. But I don't think it will ever really work. I think there are a lot of times that preachers stand up and say, we need to do such and such. And everybody goes, in theory, that would make me a better Christian. But practically, I'm not going to be, I've heard preachers stand up and say, we need to be praying 30 minutes a day. In theory, that would make your prayer life real strong. How many are you going to do it? Practically, right now, some of y'all said, I don't have time to do that. I've got kids and work and jobs. Great theory. But actually doing it, making it happen, that's a whole different story. So, keeping our eyes on Jesus as our perfect example. What are some practical things that when I pick up my Bible, and, and I, as I've already said, I'm not the best at it, and I've not been, I'm not been preaching where I'm at long. Cliff's been here longer than I've been in Aniana. And um, I speak on a few summer series. I speak on a few lectures, but I'm not, I'm not in high demand. I'm not, the brotherhood not beating on my door saying, hey, you got to come speak on this or do television programs or anything. I, I'm, I'm a small town preacher at a small town church. And that's all I will ever be. 
and, I, and I, that's what I want to be. If I can convert my town, mm -hmm. then I've succeeded. So I'm not here tonight to try to preach over your head or to offer you anything that I think you're gonna leave here and go, well, that's great in theory, but we can't actually do it. I wanna look at Jesus' life and for the last of our few minutes together, let's look at some practical things from Jesus' life that he did. And in watching what he did, keeping our eyes on him, there are many, many things that we can say, and I can do that. I can, I can, you may not do it to perfection, the first point is already Jesus was sinless. He was pure. Okay, I'm not even going to go there because I think everybody knows. I'm going to give it my bet. You're sitting here on a Friday night at 8 o'clock listening to a lectureship. I'm pretty convinced that you're giving God your best effort in trying to be a good person. So I'm not going to even make that a point in the lesson. Go home and quit sinning and try to be pure. I think you're probably already trying that. You know that Jesus set that example for us and you live it every day. Now, I'm not saying that, I'm not sitting here saying, I think as an audience, y'all are sinlessly perfect. We're not. I know every one of you sinners, just like me. But we all give our best effort. But there are some other things that we can look at Jesus and we can follow in his steps. Number one, cultivate a submissive spirit. Cultivate a submissive spirit. Jesus was always submissive to God. From the very first time we read of him speaking in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, when his mother found him and said, why have you done this this way? He said, no, you not, that I must be above my father's business. Jesus was concerned about what God wanted him to do. John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus, they said, hey, you want to go get some food? Jesus said, my food, my meat, is to do the will of him that sent me. John chapter 6, verse 38, he said, I came down from heaven to do the will of him that sent me. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. As he knelt in the garden and he said, let this cup pass from me. <clears throat> Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thy will be done. And he submitted to the death of the cross. Jesus, when I keep my eyes on him, is always submissive. He submitted to the Father. And you can cultivate a submissive spirit. You can make up your mind tonight. I want to always be submissive to God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. And being found in the fashion as a man. He humbled himself. And learned obedience. Became obedient unto death. Even the death of a cross. Jesus had this humble submissive spirit. Even if it cost him his life. He humbled himself. Now, let me let me pause for a second. I don't want you to nod off, but y'all can nod. I don't, I don't I'm not one of those preachers who uh, says amen, church, and ask for amen. But I will sometimes get y'all to recognize that you're awake and if you agree. Is that practical? Can you go home tonight and pray and ask God to help you be more submissive to him? Oh, yeah. We can do that. Every one of us here can do that. We can look at Jesus and we can be submissive. And this truly makes sense. If we're going to do a sermon on keeping our eyes on Jesus to follow his perfect example, if there are going to be other points in the sermon, and there are, it makes sense that this is the first point. Because if you can cultivate a submissive spirit, the rest of all the points I'm going to offer up tonight are going to fall in line. 
You're going to be submissive to anything. Now, the suggestions that I'm about to offer you are not mine. They're, they're coming out of Scripture after an observance of Jesus' life, after watching him, after keeping my eyes on him my entire preaching career. I'm just offering some things I noticed about Jesus. And I said, I want to be like that. I want to follow his, I want to be submissive. And if you will be submissive, all the rest of the traits that we see in Jesus will fall into place if you're following this great example. A willingness to cultivate a spirit of submissiveness helps everything else. Not only was Jesus submissive to God, Jesus was also submissive to man. Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52, after they had been to the temple, 12 years old, it says, and he went back to where they were going with his parents and was in subjection to them. Mm -hmm. He was submissive to his parents. 18 years of Jesus' life is summarized in those two verses and in that phrase, he went home and was in subjection to them. Kids, be submissive to your parents. Cultivate that spirit. I'm not going to take the time, and I could. I, I actually had it. Jim and I were talking earlier about sometimes during the week we'll put service together, we'll work on service Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Thursday we'll take that service and go <sighs> and hit the garbage can with it. I had a page right here that's ripped out and thrown in the garbage can. But I said, well, let's, let's, let's get on this submissive thing. Let's talk about wives being submissive to husbands. Let's talk about children being submissive to parents. And I'm not going to do that. I will tell you this. Jesus in Matthew chapter 17, remember they were paying the temple tax? He kind of asked the question, do we have to pay the temple tax? Because we're here to notice it. But lest we offend them, go cast the hook into the sea. Really. He didn't want to offend people. He was submissive to the government. Matthew 22, 21, render under Caesar things that are Caesar's. 1 Peter chapter 2, a perfect example that we should follow in verse 21, right? What's the whole chapter about before he says that? 1 Peter chapter 2 is about being submissive to your government, to people, to man. Submit to man for the Lord's sake. And then he goes in and says, Jesus left a perfect example that we should follow. So what's the first thing that Jesus did to leave examples? He was submissive. And like I said, I'm not going to take time to quote all the verses about wives and husbands, children, parents, government, slaves to masters. But we do need to realize that if we're going to follow in the steps of our Savior, we need to learn to be submissive. Another trait of Jesus that I see when I keep my eyes on him that we would do well and it's practical and very capable of us working into it. Jesus was a man of the word. Somebody says, what do you mean he was a man? He was a man of the word. He loved God's word. He quoted it often. He knew it. He studied it. In John chapter 10, verse 35, he claimed the word of God came through him. John chapter 1 says he was the word of God. Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus goes up into the wilderness to be tempted, every time the devil came and tempted him, how did he respond? It is written. If you want to follow the example of Jesus, you need to know God's word. You need to study. And this is where the preacher quotes the verse that study to show thyself approved the word. You need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But rather, I would quote to you Psalm 119, verse 11, where the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
I suggest we need to put God's word right here and keep it close. You want to be like Jesus? You want to follow his example? You need to have God's word in your heart. It'll help you fight off temptation. It'll give you strength. It'll do like we talked about in the previous lesson. Oh, ye of little faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you want to follow Jesus' example, be a person of the word. Be a person who loves God's word. Buy the truth and sell it not. Follow in his steps and be familiar with the word of God. That's practical. That's doable. Another practical thing we can do, this is something that I notice about Jesus. When I keep my eye on him, Jesus was a disciple maker. Jesus was a disciple maker. Now, disciple simply means learner. In John chapter 17, verse 4, as Jesus prayed the prayer that he prayed for unity, the prayer specifically during one section of it is for whom? It's for his followers, his, his apostles. So the Lord, I'm praying for these men. But you notice what he said in verse 4? In verse 4, he's praying to God. He said, I finished the work that you sent me to do. Mm. Now, I understand that he could be making reference to the redemptive work of salvation. I don't think that's what he's talking about because he hasn't been to Calvary yet. I think when he's praying to God, he says, I'm, I finished what you sent me to do. What did God send him to do? He sent him to select those men and train them so that when he was gone, they could carry on the work. And then he prays for them specifically. And then, you really want to get emotional about it? He says, and for all those who believe on me through their word. Then he prays for me. He prays for you. But Jesus selected those men and taught them. He made disciples of them. He was a disciple maker. Then he went to Calvary. And after Calvary, he came to that group of men. And he said, all authority is given me. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Now go and do what? Teach all nations and make disciples of them. So ESV translations, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the teaching. First, teaching before. This is not just saying go in all the world and evangelize. That is what it's saying. I said that's not all it's saying. But he didn't just say, go teach and evangelize and then do what? Quit? Let me tell you something. Let me get off the subject for a second. I got a second. We in the church are extremely guilty of leaving our new converts to die on the baptistry steps. We will set up a 14-week program of evangelism to teach somebody that they need to be baptized and the importance of understanding death, burial, and resurrection and the part that it plays. And as soon as they come up and we hand them a towel, we leave them as babes to starve spiritually. We don't continue to teach. That is not making a disciple. Jesus taught these men. He stayed with them. He worked with them. He trained them. And we need to do that. We need to be, you want to be like Jesus following his steps of being a disciple maker. He tasked these men with going into all the world. You keeping your eyes on Jesus? You ask the question, here's, here's the real important thing. You said, well, how? How did he do it? He was a disciple. I, I, I've got my eyes on Jesus. Just go read what he did and notice how he made disciples. How did he do it? 
He selected them. Are there people in your life you want to teach? You need to be, if you're right now, if I say, is there anybody in your life you want to teach the gospel? You want to say, you want to go to heaven with you? Is there anybody that, if I ask that question right now, nobody pops into your mind, shame on you. As a member of the Lord's church, we need to always have somebody in our mind that we're saying, I want to influence this person. I want to teach this person. I'm not saying you've got to go home tonight and call and say, you going to have a Bible study for four hours tomorrow? No. But you need to have somebody in your mind that you're saying, I'm going to teach this person. I want to work. Jesus selected his disciples. In John chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, you say, well, how did he select them? You ever notice what happened in John 1, 35 through 39? John the Baptist is standing there. He's got two, the Bible said he had two of his disciples, and he sees Jesus. He said, here's one that's greater than I. And immediately they left John and went with Jesus. Jesus is walking along. He looks around and he says, what are you looking for? And they said, where are you staying? He said, come on, I'll show you. You notice how he selected his first two disciples? They expressed an interest. Where are you staying? And, and he didn't just say, well, somewhere. I'm not telling you. He said, come on. You want to teach somebody? Brethren, if somebody in your life expresses an interest in something spiritual and you don't take that opportunity, you have failed in what our task is to do. Pick your disciples, select them by people who've showed interest. But then that's not the only one. Sometimes Jesus took the initiative. You keep on reading down. You get just there in John 1, 35 to 39. They showed an interest. He showed them where he stayed. He invited them home. In John 1, 43, the next day, he walks up. Out of the blue, he walks up to a guy named Philip and said, follow me. Did Philip show interest? Nope. Didn't say he did. But Jesus, you know, Jesus had a little advantage of us because he knows the hearts of people. But let me ask, is there somebody in your life that you could be that approachable with? You walk up and say, hey, would you study with me? Or would you come to church with me? Would you follow me to church Sunday? Sometimes he selected them because they showed an interest. Sometimes he was kind of direct. And whoever it was, he was selected. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 12, 6, verses 12 and 13, he came down to the midst of all his disciples. Of those disciples, he chose 12. You can't save the whole world. You can't save the whole town. And maybe if right now when I said, is there anybody you want to save? And you're like, oh, man, that's a big old number. Narrow it down. Narrow it down to what you could practically handle. Might just be your best friend. Might just be your first cousin. Might just be your spouse. Might just be your brother. Might just be your neighbor. Narrow it down. Make it, that's how Jesus disciple was he. And he met them where they were. I, I love the fact that Jesus met them where they were. John chapter 1, verse 46. He walks up and this guy stands there and this guy goes, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The very first thing he says is negative. What would you do if the very first time you met somebody that said, anything good come out of Talladega? What did Jesus say? Behold an Israelite in whom there is no God. He flipped it by being positive. He didn't say, well, you're off the list. I'm going to talk to you. And, and if you were going to start a movement to upturn the world, would you start with poor fishermen? Four common guys? Or what about Matthew 9 9? Would you pick a tax collector? Now, if you want the Jews to listen to you, you wouldn't, because this guy's basically a traitor. 
Jews didn't like tax collectors because he was working for Rome. He was on the far end of this close, close to not being a Jew as you get still be a Jew. And then get look, wait, Matthew 9, 9, he picks a tax collector. Matthew 10, 4, he picks a zealot. You know who a zealot is? The zealot's a guy that's on the opposite end of the spectrum from the tax collector. He is a patriotic Jew who says we should overthrow the Roman government that's got us. Imagine what the people thought when they saw Jesus and his band of fishermen and a tax collector and a zealot. You met them where they were. Didn't ask them to change who they were. Just said, hey, follow me and let me teach you. If you're going to be a disciple maker, you got to do what Jesus did. you got to meet people where they are. you got to make those opportunities and take those opportunities. And you have to tell people the requirements. He taught his disciples what the requirements were. Luke 9, 23, if any one of you can come after me, let him deny himself. That's the first thing. We, we need to tell people, if you're going to become a Christian, it's not about self anymore. It's about God. You got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And I'm so sick and tired of preachers talking about taking up the cross and they start talking about some old football injury they had on their knee in 1952. Oh, that's my cross to bear. My mother-in-law just grabbed you. She could be, that's my cross to bear. That's not your cross. Mm -hmm. That football injury is not your, your cross is something you voluntarily take up. It is the commitment that you make when you become a Christian. To be faithful, to be a servant, it costs something to be a Christian, to be a disciple, to teach people about that. Another very practical trait of Jesus that we could follow and one that his apostles also tried to emulate. When you look, keep your eyes on Jesus. If you look at him, there's going to be one thing that you're going to see Jesus doing over. And there are lots of things that you see Jesus doing over and over and over. You see him teaching because he was a disciple maker. But there's one thing that really kind of stands out when I look at his life. He's praying. You want, you want to emulate Jesus? You want to follow in his steps? Do like the disciples did and go to Jesus and say, teach us to pray. Teach me to pray. Luke 11, 1, they went and he was praying. And they went to him and said, teach us to pray, like John talked to his disciples. You keep your eyes on Jesus. Here's what I noticed. When I look at Jesus, I notice not only that he was praying a lot, I noticed when he was praying a lot. You want to pray like Jesus? Ask yourself this question. When, when, why did Jesus pray? Why was he praying and when was he praying? When he encountered pressure. When the crowds pressed and things got stressful, like Mark 1, 35, after healing many, after being tired, it says he went away into a secluded place to pray. When he encountered pressures, he prayed. When he faced trials, he prayed. Luke 5, 21, the scribes and the Pharisees are, are trying, they're, they're tested. You keep on reading down in that Luke 5, you get down to verse 30, says, you eat with sinners. Luke 6, 1 and 2, his disciples grab a handful of grain. They say, they're eating on the Sabbath. They are trying, they are testing, they are, they're doing everything they can to upset Jesus you get down to verse 11. He heals a man with a withered hand. They ah, can't do that. Not on the Sabbath. He's facing the trials of the scribes and Pharisees. Tell me what it says he did in verse 12. It says he went up to a mountain 
to the lonely place to pray. Jesus prayed when he faced pressure. He prayed when he faced trials. He came down from verse 12 and in verse 13 chose the 12. I believe that prayer was not only because of the trials he was facing with the scribes and Pharisees, it was because he knew he was about to make a big decision. Jesus prayed before making big decisions. You want to follow in his steps? You pray before you make big decisions in your life. He prayed when he suffered temptation. Somebody says, okay, let's go to Matthew 4. He, we've already said that he said it is written. What was he doing for 40 days out there? You can say who's out there fasting and praying. Let's talk about another temptation. And some people may say it's not a temptation. I don't know for a fact that it was a temptation. In John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, the crowd pressed on Jesus and they said, let's take him and make him king. You think it would have been tempting to Jesus to say, okay, they're accepting me. Let's go with this. I think he knew the plan. But I know that he also, not many days later, would pray, let this cup pass from me. There's a chance. The cup can pass. Let the people take and make the king. Rule. But he didn't. Matter of fact, verse 15 says that when they said, let's take him and make him king, what did Jesus do? He went and prayed. He prayed when temptation came. He prayed when he planned on teaching. So many times we read of Jesus teaching. I said there are many things that we read Jesus doing over and over. One thing we read about him doing is teaching. But quite often before he taught, the Bible tells us like in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27, he's praying. Right before the whole, who's everybody saying that I am? In Luke, you read that, he says, they say, well, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, one the prophet. Right before he says, but whom say ye that I am? And he tells them, on this rock I'll build my, he's fixing to teach. What was he doing right before asking the question, who's everybody saying I am? He's praying. Every preacher in this audience, y'all can amen on this. I'm not going to call for an amen. Every preacher in this audience tonight, before you preach, do you pray? Amen? That's good advice. And that's a good example to follow. Jesus prayed before he taught. He was praying in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, before he taught the disciples came and said, teach us to pray. Then he taught them. He prayed before he taught. That's a great example that we should follow of Jesus. Another thing that we should follow of Jesus if we want to keep our eyes on him, another thing that when I look at his life, I see Jesus was caring. That's practical. and that, That's something you can leave here tonight and say, I'm going to be a more caring person. Jesus was caring. He cared for the sick. How many times do we read of Jesus healing the blind, the lame, the infirm, lepers? Paul told us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, to put on a heart of compassion. If you want to follow in Jesus' step, you need to have a heart of compassion. He cared not only for the sick, he cared for the bereaved. In Luke chapter 7, when the widow of the city of Nain came out after having lost her loved one, what was Jesus' words to her? Do not believe. He cared for the bereaved. He cared for the poor. He constantly talked to people about the poor. He told the rich young ruler, sell what you have and go give to the poor. Why? Because Jesus cared for the poor. Luke 14, he's teaching his disciples, if you prepare a feast, 
invite the poor and don't expect them to return the favor because he cared for the poor. Luke 19, he commanded and commended Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus, remember all the money he made, he gave half to the poor. He commended that good job because he cared for the poor. And Jesus cared for the lost. He cared for lost souls. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, he saw the multitude and said he had compassion on them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. He recognized the state of their souls and he had compassion on them. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, we, talk, we think of it only as Jesus turning and teaching his disciples, but he tells his disciples, pray unto the Lord of harvest that he will send laborers. Why? Because there's lost people out there and those people are going to stay lost if we don't send somebody to do. Jesus told them to pray for laborers because he cared for the lost. You want to be like Jesus? You want to follow his example? You want to follow his? You need to care about lost souls. We encounter them every day. Jesus, another practical point that you can make, that you can follow is Jesus was a servant. He had a servant's heart. Matthew 20, 28 said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Luke 22, 27, he said, I am among you as a servant. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, we've already quoted, who being the fashion of man, thought not robbery to be counted equal to God, but took on himself the form of a bond servant. Jesus had the heart of a servant. Got me a clock. Um, okay, there you go. We're going to be out here by 830. He said, you're going to be out here by 830, headed home by 840. We are. Some of y'all are going to think this next point is a little strange. You're going to say, what? Some of y'all are going to say, I can do this one. I can do this one. You, everything else you, takes work, it takes effort. But boy, I got this one. Now, some of y'all are going to say, I'm already doing that. But I want you to listen. When I look at Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees accused him sometimes of being friends of sinners. You know why they did that? Because Jesus was a friend of sinners. And I think sometimes we in the church are guilty of, of kind of getting up in these four walls and we make our little friend groups and we go out every Wednesday and every Sunday and we get together on weekends and we, we very seldom branch outside of, and, and I understand the comfort, I understand the joy, I understand brotherhood. I know the Bible tells us about this, so I mean, no, you're part of if you love one another. So I'm not saying I'm here saying quit loving your brethren. I'm saying this, it's okay to be friends with people in the world. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Not just worldly people. He was friends of sinners. In Luke 5.30, he was accused. In Luke chapter 7, he goes into a man's house and a woman of the town, who the Bible says it, who was a sinner, came in and not just to sit and listen to what Jesus says, she goes over there and touches him and pours perfume on his feet and wipes his feet with her hair. Verse 39 says, if Simon, as it was, thought if this man really was a prophet, he'd know this woman was a sinner. That, that was his thought process. If he's a prophet, he would know that the woman that's touching him is a sinner. Let me tell you something amazing. He knew. And he had compassion. Because he knew sinners can receive forgiveness. And I think we would do well to follow in his steps to recognize that we can have a positive impact on the sinners in our lives. <coughs> Some of y'all really gonna like this next point. 
When I look at Jesus' life, if I want to follow in his, in his steps, Jesus knew that every now and then we need to take a break. Do you know that? Jesus knew sometimes. We, if I were to, and I'm not, because everybody does it. And the reason I'm not going to ask for a show of hands is because I've done this before. I've asked for a show of hands and people just real proudly go. They sit out in the audience and go, and then I go, that's nothing to be proud of. Put your hand down. And then they're like, oh. If I were to ask for a show of hands of how many of you are workaholics, would there be a lot of hands go up? We in the church are not immune from this plague that hits us. We feel like we've got to be burning a candle at both ends all the time or we're not successful. So I've had preachers tell me, I'd rather burn out than rust out. You ever anybody say that? I'd rather burn out than rust out. Oh, either way, you're out. Either way, you're out. So have some common sense and recognize that rather than burn out, rather than rust out, you take a time out. Jesus did. Mark 6, 31, come aside to a lonely place. They had been out working. They came back. They told Jesus all they were doing. Jesus said, that's great. It's great work that you're doing. Now, come aside and take a, take a break. To a lonely place. Let me, and I, I won't get on my soapbox because my time is running out. A lonely place, a secluded place. You know, you may have transliterate that into modern day vernacular. You sometimes need to go somewhere to get away from the world, and that means put your phone down. Get off social media. Go be with your family. Be with your loved ones. And get away. I stand here tonight making this point to you because finally in my life I realized I needed it about three years ago. I have been in Anayana for 22 years and never taken a vacation until three years ago. I've been there for 19 years and missed two Sundays. because I burned the candle at both ends. I'm a little bit wired that way, and it's wrong. And it can be sinful if it's harming your body or harming your relationships. Jesus understood taking a break, following his steps. And I could go on. I've got other points of the lesson, but my time is up. I could tell you to follow his example, being unified with the Father. I could talk to you about his purity. But rather what I would do tonight is I would suggest that we all want to follow in his steps. And Cliff told me, right before I stood up to preach, he said at the end of the second one, offer an invitation. And I was like, this is a lectureship. We don't offer invitations at lectureships. So my lesson has nothing of an invitation in it. But I thought about it when I sat down during the four minutes. You want to follow in Jesus' example? There's one place you need to follow him, and that's through the waters of baptism. Jesus was baptized even though he was sinless. He did so to fulfill all scripture but he set an example for us if you've never been baptized tonight follow his example in that if you have been baptized but you have sinned and you need to ask for your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray with you and for you we would be glad to do so you can come forward tonight brother Jim or brother Cliff will take your hand and sit with you and the elders and the good brethren here will pray with you for strength maybe even facing storms of life and say I need help We'd be glad to help if you need to respond. The opportunity is yours right now as we stand and sing.